We are continuing in our series in Lamentations, and we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3 today. So let's just turn there for a moment and look at a few verses. We won't read the entire chapter, as uh, you might know, it's 66 verses long. Um, but we're going to read a couple from a few verses from different portions of it. So in chapter 3, verse 1, we read, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me, he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. Verse 15. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. Verse 17. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, my, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Verse 31. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. Verse 55. I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, as we come together this morning, we praise you and thank you for the remembrance of your son. We thank you that he has joined us in our sorrows, that he embraced that title, man of sorrows. What a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And as we come before you uh, this morning, Lord, we remember that we live in the valley of sorrows and in the valley of the shadow of death, that we walk this veil of tears and that there is not a day go by that goes by where we are not confronted by sources of grief and loss and pain and sorrow. And yet we also know that this is a world where you have blessed us with many good things. You've blessed us with sunlight and rain. You've blessed us with the changing of seasons. You've blessed us with food to eat and clothes to wear and roofs over our heads. You've blessed us with family and marriage. We, you've blessed us with these dear ones, Lord. And we thank you that, uh, that you have guided and worked and moved in all these lives, Lord. Rob and Jen and Steve and Stacy, we thank you for them. 
We thank you for the lives that they have lived thus far in the testimony they've been. We thank you that you have brought them and continue to guide them in, in the way of your will. And we would just pray, Lord, now as we are meditating on this book of sorrows, that we might hear your word in our, in, in your, your, hear your word in these words and that your spirit might speak to us. Lord, we need your blessing. We need your comfort. We need your guidance. We need your direction. We are just a needy people. But we come to you, our God, asking for your help, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Unsure when what was bright turns dark and life, it seems, has lost its way, we question what we once believed and fear that doubt has come to stay. We sense the worm that gnaws within, has withered willpower, weakened bones, and wonder whether all that's left is stumbling blocks or stepping stones. Where minds and bodies reel with pain, which nervous smiles can never mask, and hope is forced to face despair, and all the things it dared not ask, aware of weakness, guilt, or shame, the will gives out, the spirit groans, and clutching at each straw, we find more stumbling blocks than stepping stones. Where hearts that once held love are bare, and faith in shreds compounds the mess, where hymns and prayers no longer speak, and former friends no longer bless. And when the church where some belonged, no more their loyalty enthrones, the plea is made, if you are there, turn stumbling blocks. To stepping stones. Ah, God, you with the maker's eye can tell if all that's feared is real and see if life is more than what we suffer, dread, despise, and feel. If some by faith no longer stand nor hear the truth, your voice intones, stretch out your hand to help your folk from stumbling blocks to stepping stones. From stumbling blocks to stepping stones. Man is born to trouble like the sparks fly upward. Are the things we suffer merely stumbling blocks? Or is there some way that the troubles in our lives that are ubiquitous, universal, common to all, is there a way for them to become stepping stones? And if so, what do they take us to? For a stepping stone is just a path in a rough place to go from one point to another. Lamentations points the way to turn our stumbling blocks to stepping stones. Last week, we, we looked at lamentations and we see that it is a profound and yet very pertinent collection of poems. It is a funeral dirge on the death of the city of God. It is an expression of grief. It is the voice of God speaking through our pain. As the author of the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy says, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And in the first two poems of Lamentations 1 and 2, we see as the sin and sorrow of a disobedient people. We see the sovereignty of God in judgment and wrath. And we also caught a glimpse of the Savior who suffers alongside the chastened. 
And now we come to the literal center of it all. Lamentations builds to this point. Chapter three is the summit. It is literally where the whole book comes together. Why do we know this? Because the first two chapters are 22 verses each. The last two chapters are 22 verses each. But here in the middle, Lamentations 3, the third poem, is 66 verses. Three times the amount of the other four chapters. It's as though the, the, the author of and, and the writer of these poems wants us to fix ourselves here to think about this. And literally, the key to the entire book is found in the dead center of the chapter in the dead center of the book, verse 33 of chapter three, for he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. It is the key to the entire book of Lamentations. And so what do we find here? How do we go from stumbling blocks to stepping stones? Well, when the chapter begins in chapter three, we find a new voice is introduced to us in Lamentations. We've observed already that there is the narrator who reports on the tragedy that is the destruction of Jerusalem. We see in the first chapter this calamity that he reports on. And then we hear the voice of Lady Zion, and we hear her grief, and we hear her sorrow, and she calls out to those who pass by, is there any sorrow like my sorrow? But now we hear a different voice. A different voice is speaking. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. Here the voice of the prophet calls out in his sorrow and in his grief. And what is his sorrow? Where is he? As you go through the first first 20 verses of chapter 3, you find out his condition. We find that he's in a dark place, that he is wasted, confined. He feels trapped. He is burdened. He feels abandoned by God. He is desolate. He is terrified. He is tortured. He is ashamed. He is frustrated. He is bitter. He is miserable. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. The prophet stands on the edge of the abyss. He stands at the edge of the abyss, and he has no strength. And no hope. Can anyone here relate to him? Has there ever been a time in your life, or perhaps even now that you're going through a time where you feel like you are in a dark place, where there is really no light? What does it mean to be in a dark place? It means that that what was once clear to you is no longer clear. Shadows now overcome. There's no way forward. There's no clear vision of what is life meant to be or where is life going the sense of of being trapped or burdened that he actually feels like that when he prays god has shut off his prayers is there anyone here who has ever felt like that 
Is there anyone here honest enough to look themselves in the mirror and say, I know what this prophet is going through. I've been there. But see, the thing is, is that have we ever said these things to God? Have we ever even said them to ourselves? Have we ever had the courage to write them down? You see, so often when we have dark emotions and strong feelings and feelings of despair, feelings of hopelessness, we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't feel this way. I'm a believer and I shouldn't be having these emotions. I just got to like put on a happy face. Don't worry, be happy. And in the reality of it is, is that we don't give voice to these feelings to God. Now it's true, it is true that Lamentations is written before the, set, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's written before, it is written before the gospel, it is written before the, the uh, Christmas, it's written before Good Friday, it's written before Easter. In other words, it li- exists in a world where the things that we know, Jeremiah did not know. But here's the interesting thing, right? Here's the interesting thing. There is not a gospel that exists that starts off by saying God became a man. He died on a cross, rose from the dead. And now if you believe you have eternal life, end of story. What we find when we read the gospels, we find a narrative of the incarnation of Christ. And what do we see in that narrative? We see all of the sorrows of human existence. We see the slaughter of the infants in Bethlehem. We see the betrayal of friends and the abandonment of friends. We see the Lord Jesus weeping in the garden. We see him weeping by Lazarus's tomb. We see him sweating great drops of blood. It's not like a clinical de- declaration of what God does, but rather the full experience of humanity embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why? Because he became a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Man of sorrows, what a name. What a name. And God in his wisdom gives us the book of Lamentations so that we might see and have permission to lament. To have permission to go And he invites us in the Psalms. The psalmist says, pour out your hearts before the Lord. But some of you might say, well, is it murmuring and complaining like a sin? And and it is. So what's the difference? You see, the difference is that lamenting dares to hope when life is hard. See, when I complain... All I'm doing is just venting my feelings, right? I'm just venting my feelings. I'm just pouring out all the bile and unhappiness that might be inside of me. But the moment someone tries to redirect my thinking, what happens? Well, I don't want to hear that. I just want to vent. I just want to complain. I don't want to be reminded. I don't want to rethink or challenge my thinking. I just want to complain. Life's terrible. Life stinks. Well, that's not a lament. That's just complaining. The difference between that is that I can say to God, God, life stinks. 
but you are still God. Lord, this is really hard, but you are still good. Lament, as Rogrip writes, is a prayer of faith, despite your fear. And when we come to chapter 3, we see the prophet rehearsing his sorrow, rehearsing all the things that have caused him grief, how he feels abandoned by God, how he, he looks at what's happened to him, and he sees that God has placed a heavy hand on him, that God has gone from being like his friend to being like his enemy, and it has caused bitterness of heart and soul and a destruction of his peace, a loss of happiness. He feels he has no strength and no hope, and he says in verse 19, I remember my affliction, my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness, Surely my soul remembers this, and it is bowed down. And then we come to verse 21. This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. And one of the things that is true of the laments in the scripture is that there is a moment in time where after rehearsing the the grief and the sorrow and pouring out of the heart, there is a pivot moment. There's a pivot moment where the psalmist, where the prophet says, but yet, therefore, there's a moment of transition. And what is this transmission? What is this, this movement from complete hopelessness and despair to a prayer of faith that dares to hope? He not only remembers his pain and his bitterness, but he remembers the truth about God. Yes, we are not in the garden anymore. We are not in the garden anymore. But if we are the people of God, if we are the children of God, if we've been born again by the Spirit, by having placed our trust and confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ, while we are not in the garden anymore, We are on our way to the city where God shall wipe away every tear from our eyes. That we are on our way to the city where there is no longer any night, no longer any curse, no longer any death or mourning or crying or pain. What does Jeremiah recall? He recalls the truth that he knows of God. As someone has said, do not doubt in the dark. What God has shown you in the light. He is recalling to his mind the truth, the truth that has the power to turn the stumbling blocks to stepping stones. Stepping stones in the midst of suffering. What's the first one that he remembers? This is what I recall to my mind the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is Thy faithfulness, 
Lord unto me. The first thing that the that Jeremiah reminds himself of in the lamentation is that the Lord's mercies never cease. When we go through difficulties, when we go through sorrow and trial and grief, I've said this before, that every trial is a temptation and every temptation is a trial. When we go through a trial, Satan sees an opportunity. He has an opportunity to, to speak whispers into our, into our mind that basically say God has abandoned you. His compassions have failed. The first stepping stone in the midst of suffering is recalling to this, we're calling this to mind. God's mercies never cease. The second stepping stone that we see is that waiting on the Lord is worth it. Waiting on the Lord is worth it. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he silently waits for the salvation of the Lord. As Rogop writes, waiting is not a waste. Waiting is not a waste. The reason why waiting is so hard is because, at least for, for me, it's hard because it's a recognition that I'm not in control. I'm not in control of the circumstances. I'm not in control of the situation. And, and, and anxiety and, and worry and panic and fear are the emotional consequences of the false belief that I am somehow in control. And when circumstances turn bad, when life is dark and where there are hard places we must walk, there is a recognition that I'm not in control. And what is left for the person who's not in control? It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. But waiting is not just like Okay, throwing up my hands in passive resignation that circumstances stick. It's an expectation that there is a God who's moving behind the scenes, that there is an understanding and a hope that God himself is going to be working on my behalf. And it might take days, it might take weeks, it might take years, it actually might take my lifetime. But the Lord is my portion, says my soul. And therefore I have hope. So the first thing I recall to mind is that the Lord's mercies do not cease. His loving kindnesses never fail. The second is that waiting on the Lord is worth it. The third thing, the third stepping stone is that his mercies never cease. But suffering does. His mercies never cease. But suffering does. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. You know what? When I'm going through a really tough time, you know what my favorite phrase from the Bible is? And it came to pass. 
and it came to pass. In other words, there are seasons in our lives that are very difficult. And there are seasons in our lives where we may go through intense suffering. But the Lord's mercies never cease in those situations. But the suffering has an end. And you might say, well, what if you're in a bed? What if you're like Joni Erickson, paralyzed from the neck down? That's never going to change. Oh, no, but it does because we're on our way to the city whose builder and maker is God. That no matter what I go through in this life, as Paul would say, the suffering that we go through is not worthy to be compared with the weight of glory. Now, in last week's session, we talked about suffering we, in the breakout room. And the question was brought up is like to how to address suffering, especially because suffering in the world is one of the big challenges that unbelievers have and that and that as non-believers they look at the world and they say how can you believe in a good god when there's so much evil in the world and there's a lot of different ways to address that but one of the ways that i think is most powerful and to me speaks most eloquently is that if you take god out of the equation if you believe in a a universe where all that matters is matter and that our lifespan is limited by the few short years we have on this speck of dust in the universe, then we must admit first that your question about an unjust God allowing suffering in this world is an, is an insane question. Because if there's no God, then there's no good ultimately. And if there's no ultimate good, there can be no evil. There is just what is. And secondly, your suffering without God is utterly and completely meaningless. Because the universe cares nothing about you. It cares no more about you than the ant that you stepped on in your backyard. It cares no more about you than the weed you pulled out of the ground. It cares no more about you than anything else that exists because you, yourself, and your entire existence is utterly and completely meaningless. It is only the gospel that teaches us that the God who created the heavens and the earth and invested significance in that creation loved us so much and cared so much for our misery that he enfleshed himself to partake in that suffering and join with us in our sorrows and identify with us in our sin so that he might be the sin bearer and not only remove the source once and for all of our separation from God, but provide a way for every heartache, every tear, every sorrow, every loss to have eternal significance. So I would ask you, which philosophy ultimately offers hope and which one ultimately leaves you with nothing but despair? Waiting on the Lord is worth it. Suffering has an end. And as we come to verse 33, the very heart of the book, 
we find the fourth stepping stone. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. God is always good. And he never takes pleasure in the suffering we experience. He does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. To put it another way, he grieves when he causes us grief. He suffers when he causes us to suffer. And he only does so because in his grand plan, there can be no other way. He is always working for his glory. And his glory is brought forth in our lives as he does what is best for us. So these four stepping stones are a pathway to peace. They are a pathway to hope. But what is striking and what needs to be observed is that this is no panacea. This is no pie in the sky. Let's just slap verses, you know, 19 to 33 on our, our, our wounds and move on because the chapter does not end with verse 33. There is a down slope. We've reached the summit, but it's not over. There's another side. And while the tone remains hopeful and more hopeful than the first 21 verses, notice verse 47, panic and pitfall have befallen us, devastation and destruction. It's not like calling these things to mind and remembering these stepping stones magically remove all the pain in our lives or magically remove all the suffering from our heart. It's just that they're stepping stones. In the midst of the flood. It's not saying the flood has gone away. And there is still sorrow. And there's still persecution. My eyes run down with streams of water. My eyes pour down unceasingly. My eyes bring pain to my soul. My enemies without cause hunted me down. See, this is the beauty of, of, of Christianity. This is the beauty of, of the God who is. God does not tell us your suffering, your sorrow is a figment of your imagination. No, he gives voice to it. And while the sorrow remains, so does the hope, faith, and prayer. I called on your name, O Lord. You have heard my voice. You drew near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. Oh, Lord, you have pleaded my soul's case. You have redeemed my life. Prayers of lament, says Rogop, take faith. He also says, in all we feel, in all the questions we have, there comes a point where we must call to mind what we know to be true. When trouble strikes and fear takes root and dreams are dry and sense unsound, when hope becomes a barren waste, then doubts like mountains soar around. 
our wandering minds believe the worst and ask as faith and fervor fade, has God now turned his back on us, forsaking those he loved and made? God says, see how a woman cares. Can she forget the child she bore? Even if she did, I shan't forget. Though feeling lost, I love you more. My dearest daughter, fondest son, my weary folk in every land, your souls are cradled in my heart. Your names are written on my hand. Then praise the Lord through faith and fear in holy and in hopeless place for height and depth and heaven and hell can't keep us far from his embrace. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to meditate on your faithfulness and your unceasing mercies. And we pray, Father, that in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our grief, we pray that we might recall the truth of the things we know and never lose sight of the cross where you entered our sorrow, took upon yourself, Lord Jesus, our grief, our loss, our sin, the shame of it all, the guilt of it all, he bore. And we thank you. And we ask, oh God, your blessing now, even as we look to you and pray in Jesus' name, amen.